Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I just think it's an enticement. It's not rocket science. It can be done. I truly believe it can. It's wanton destruction. It's also illegal. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Oh, here comes the sun. It's breaking through. It was a cloudy old morning, a very humid night, very humid night. But listen, let's not complain. It was lovely. But the sun is breaking through and it's going to be Scorchio. Today, tomorrow, Sunday, Monday. Pretty good into Tuesday. Nice enough into Wednesday. Could get a bit iffy Thursday. But don't rule out it being nice and warm and sunny next weekend as well. But let's get this weekend over us. Scorchio is on the menu. Make sure you got the charcoal in. Make sure you got the sun lotion in because you're going to need it. Ah, uh, yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. So, so looking forward to the weekend. And seeing as this is my last day for a couple of weeks as well, I'm going to enjoy it even more. What's lovely to have on a Friday is, you know what the old saying in the A-Team, I love it when a plan comes together. Well, something happened this week and we managed to pull something together for a listener. I was going through Dundee, going through everything to try and find tickets, but I, I couldn't get them. And uh, in fairness to 96FM, we've been issued with complimentary tickets for today. The full story in a little while. But we have to stick with the brass tax. And I'm sorry, but this is the big story. This is the story that dominates the news Today, yesterday, and unfortunately for a while to come yet, it will dominate. I speak, of course, of COVID-19. We'll talk later about we're at nearly a 1,000 cases. They said a few weeks ago we could be at a 1,000 cases by the 19th of July. In fact, we'll get there well before that. We'll get there today. We went near to it yesterday. We'll go over it today. And that's in a while. But uh, Dr. Neve Lynch, paediatrician, has been with us many times on the programme over the last year and a bit. And yesterday, Neve put up a thread on Twitter, an upsetting thread, of the things that she is seeing in her very young, uh, very vulnerable patients. Not 
entirely COVID-related, but not unrelated either. And I think, Niamh, it's it's fair to say that even when we are through this, you are fearful for the future for the children in your and other care. Morning. Good morning, PJ. I'm very happy to hear the weather forecast because I'm off next week as well. So I'm looking forward to that. Good um, you. Yeah, look, I'm seeing things that I haven't seen before or have rarely seen in terms of child health. And a lot of it centres around their mental health and the physical symptoms that they develop as a result of pretty much severe stress and anxiety. So um, I suppose, look, we... We haven't done this for almost 100 years in terms of bringing children through a pandemic. Um, So we don't know the long-term implications. But I think it's time now to start really prioritising the needs of children. There are one million children in this country. They will be the largest unvaccinated population in the country. We need to prioritise their needs and stop, you know, prioritising the needs of the grown-ups who want to go inside and have a few pints and a bit of crack. Yeah. The things you are seeing that you have very rarely seen, you posted photographs of chillblains, Raynaud's syndrome. We know what chillblains are, but what are Raynaud's syndrome? That's an awful looking thing. Yeah, it's so painful and uncomfortable. So basically it's um, a difficulty with circulation in your hands and feet. Um, A lot of people will identify with this. Um, So in cold weather, your hands will go, first they'll go blue and then they'll go extremely pale and a kind of a weird combination of numb and very painful. And, you know, in the winter that it's worse because it's the cold that makes it worse. So I would have quite a few young patients who have renal syndrome. And over the winter um, that's just gone, they were in classrooms that were extremely cold because the only way that classrooms had of being adequately ventilated um, was to open the windows, even though it was effectively freezing outside. So while it wasn't caused by COVID or directly related to COVID, the preparations we make to try to keep COVID out of a classroom was exacerbating it. Exactly. And I think with the Delta variant now, it's 50% approximately more contagious than the Alpha variant, which was 50% more contagious than the original COVID. Our concern, I suppose, as healthcare professionals is that opening a window isn't going to be enough and the children will be cold and uncomfortable and they may well still get COVID. So, you know, the infrastructure in schools, which is outdated, to say the least, Um, will really need to be ramped up and supported. You know, teachers and principals have done an amazing job um, trying to keep schools safe, but I fear that those measures won't be enough for the fourth wave, for this wave that's more contagious, and bearing in mind that children are all unvaccinated. Yeah, and we'll get to the vaccination situation in a minute, but there's a a belief out there, Neve, that this thing just bounces harmlessly off children. Now, you've seen plenty of evidence to the contrary. I have. And, you know, children who get COVID-19, very often they appear to have quite a mild infection, but about 10% of them will have symptoms that last for more than 12 weeks, and that's known as long COVID. So, um, you know, it's, it's similar to what occurs in the adult population. So, well, it's true that they're not filling up our intensive care units. Um, 
they are presenting with long-term complications of COVID, just as adults are. What kind of things do you see? Very similar to the adult population. So fatigue, brain fog, irritability, feeling of breathlessness, mood change. Um, and obviously this is hugely concerning to the children who you know, want to be out in the sunshine playing soccer and games with their friends and they just don't have the energy. So yeah. it's very sad. It's, it's tough to see kids going through something like that. Look at the mental side of it, Neve, and it's not the first time you've brought it up on the programme, but you detailed what you're seeing yesterday in a tweet, and I'll, I'll quote if I may. I've seen children starve themselves, cut themselves, hit themselves. I've seen children with tics so severe they can't eat or sleep. Toddlers who scream in terror at the sight of strangers. I've ch- seen children go from chatterboxes to utterly mute. That's scary. It is, and I suppose it was only yesterday when I sat down and kind of looked back at what I've seen in the last year. Um, it, it sort of struck me, you know, this is way off base. You know, this is a year unlike any other year. In any given year, you will see a certain small amount of children who will have significant mental health issues. But, you know, my colleagues have written a paper on the amount of mental health uh, issues that are presenting acutely to hospital and um, the the figures are quite startling and stark so we now have real-time data in terms of the numbers um, which have increased dramatically over the last year so um, it's upsetting to see it for me but I can only imagine how painful and traumatising it is for the families of these children mm. and the children themselves as well. There is a thing in science and you don't need me to tell you, you know it many times, you've heard it many times correlation does not imply causation but there's an awful lot of correlation here. There is, yeah so you know it's very hard to explain this uh, upset in presentations um, with the context of the pandemic that is the only thing that has really changed in the background of these children's lives you know nothing else has changed uh, apart from apart from the pandemic and our response to the pandemic So so you have to say it must be at least partly Well yeah and I suppose I've had very interesting conversations with kids they're very unfiltered and they're very honest Yes and a couple of weeks ago I asked a little fella he was about nine, uh, what he thought about the pandemic and literally the air turned blue <laughs> with his opinion on on how things had gone for him for the last year. His mum was like, oh, don't be saying that now, but it was great to hear yes. his opinion. You'd rather hear him do that than bottle it up. Absolutely, but so many kids are bottling it up. Uh, another thing that's come out is that children, in the early stages, there was a lot of focus on children potentially being vectors um, for the virus. Now, that has turned out not to be the case, but children were very, very worried for a long time that they might unknowingly pass this virus on to somebody else. It was a big fear and a big concern of theirs because the messaging that was coming through via the media and various other sources was that they were potentially a hazard. Children were going around, and let's not put a tooth in it here, Neve. children were walking around thinking they could kill Nana. That's exactly it. And, and And quite a few of them have articulated that to me. And, you know, they're absolutely thrilled that their parents and their grandparents are now vaccinated and safe but now um now they're they're listening they're listening to radio shows like this they're you know the, the, those who can read are reading the headlines and they're worried now for themselves because everyone is saying that you know they're the ones who are most at risk this time around yeah now 
look at the vaccination. Uh, again, the announcement yesterday that they're moving down another cohort now and they are actively looking, we think NIAC are actively looking at the 12 to 18-year-old bracket. We need to go younger, do we? I don't know about that um, because I don't know that we have all the data that we need in terms of research uh, mm. for this population. There are trials ongoing for the under 12s for vaccination and they look promising. Um, but until uh, and unless vaccination for under 12s is available, then we have to strive to make schools safe because, you know, really one of the most damaging things for children has been that their lives have been utterly disrupted with the closure of schools. That is one of the biggest sources of stress for children Mm -hmm. and for their parents. And until vaccination is available, um, if it ever does become available for this group of children, then we have to invest massively in the infrastructure um, that's available in schools. You know yourself, a lot of the schools around the country, they've been there for, you know, over 50 years. They're old buildings. They're cramped buildings. It's very hard to ventilate them. You know, we, sh- we now need to invest, put the investment into schools that should have been done years ago. Do you, Neve, or any of your paediatric colleagues up and down the country, are you represented on NEFET? So, uh, Professor Karina Butler, um, her background is paediatrics, so yes, she would be a great um, representation for us Mm. on on NEFET, yeah. Is it time for NEFET to perhaps be asked to produce either a document or a paper or some bit of recommendation with regard to what we do for children over the coming months? Is it time for NEFET to focus on children in one of its reports? Well, NEFET is saying that they're focusing now on the unvaccinated. There are a million children in Ireland, all of whom are unvaccinated. It is the single largest unvaccinated population in the country. So, yes, uh, if NEFET is focusing on the unvaccinated, then it needs to focus on children as well. Now, look, there may well be children listening to our conversation, Neve. So before I finish with, I suppose we should reassure them that, do you know, they will be okay. This will go away. This is not here forever. That's right. And I have to say the children of Ireland have been absolutely heroic, brave, loyal, fantastic. They are the best of our humans in this country. And as are the people who work with them, people like yourself. Neve, always a pleasure to speak with you on the Opinion Line. And thank you very much for being with us. Thank you. That's Dr. Neve Lynch, paediatrician at the Bonds. They are unvaccinated. They will be unvaccinated for the foreseeable future, which makes them now among the most vulnerable. We used to talk about the most vulnerable being the elderly. We used to talk about the most vulnerable being those with underlying conditions. We used to talk about all of that. And they still are vulnerable. But our children now are among our most vulnerable for the reasons that Dr. Lynch has been outlining. And we need to be so careful with them and for them. The Cork's 96FM Best of Cork Awards are back. We're looking for nominations of places and services that are the best in Cork. From best beauty salon to breakfast. Best workplace to gym. Hairdresser to hotel. Best bar to best local tradesperson and more. See 96FM.ie.
96fm.ie now to nominate. Then stay listening. The best of Cork Awards with localheroes.ie. Find trusted local plumbers, electricians, locksmiths, and more with a 12 month guarantee. Backed by Board Gosh. Only on Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. We're having a little thing this Friday. We'll have a bit of fun later on. We'll be talking about food and about whether or not there's such a thing as Irish cuisine. Like, we all know Italian we all know Chinese. We all know Greek. We all know, in, you know, you know where I'm going with this. We know what Chinese cuisine is, or at least what we get here that passes for it. Indian, Italian. We know what Italian. What is Irish food? What is, we've great food. We've great chefs. We've great restaurants up and down the country. What is Irish? So what I want you to do before we do that is have a little think among yourselves, right? And pop a text to me. Uh, at 083 396 96 Text or WhatsApp, or even a WhatsApp voice note if you were so inclined. You know you're in Ireland when blank is on the menu. So have a think about that. You land in a restaurant, you don't know where you are in the world, you pick up the menu and you're oh, we must be in Ireland, because that's on the menu. What is it? You know you're in Ireland when blank is on the menu. Have a think about that for fun on a Friday. 1850-715-996. Now, Tom got in touch with us earlier in the week. And we can't always work magic. But sometimes you just feel you need to. And I take no credit for this other than the engagement with Tom because all the hard work happened behind the scenes. You're anxious to find out what I'm talking about, aren't you? All right. I spoke to Tom before we came on air. Tom, you contacted the Opinion Line earlier this week, and we read out your message on the air. We were hoping that somebody could help. What's the story about your family in Tato Park? You want to get there this weekend. We do, PJ. Um... Basically, the story is my wife, uh, she's suffering with cancer at the moment, and uh, her bloods were a bit low this week to get the chemotherapy, so um, she has a week off from the chemo. The small one has been looking to go to Taylor Park for a long time, well, probably as well as myself. Now I'm more excited than her, I'd say. And in fairness to 96FM, we've been issued with complimentary tickets from Tato Park for today. Well, what happened so, was, Tom, that I read out your message and we were asking our listeners, would anybody have tickets they could sell to yeah. you or they could swap with you or whatever. And then after the show, uh, Fergal Barry picked up the phone to the very nice people at Tato Park to see could they help. And what happened was, I know it was Saturday, it was your ideal day. They have nothing on Saturday. They're completely slammed, but they did manage yeah. to find three tickets for today. It's absolutely brilliant. Jesus, like, um, I was looking up online and for the next two weeks, it, I'm online, it's completely booked out. So um, I was going through Dundee, going through everything <clears throat> to try and find tickets, but I, I couldn't get them. And uh, in fairness to yourself and your crew, it's absolutely fantastic what you've done for us and we really appreciate it. Well, they put us in touch with their PR guy, a fellow called Ian, and he spoke to the Tato Park management. With, uh, with Ian, um, he rang me 
uh, yesterday once uh, Fergal got on to him and uh, he said basically he was only ringing so I'd have his number in case Taylor Park didn't contact me by 5 o'clock that I could ring him on his mobile and he'd he'd get back on the case again. So in fairness to him, he was very good as well. And Taylor Park, been, everybody has been brilliant. So you're going today and you decided to treat yourselves. You went up last evening. We came up We came up last evening, yeah. Um, so we stayed in Roganstone there in Swords in County Dublin. Um, uh, it would have been a very big day for Fiona if she, if she had to travel mm. up the same day and Tato Park and you know so yeah. well, I, I, I imagine if she's on a break from chemo the slightest thing takes it out of you yeah it's very um, it's 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 a great thing it's doing its stuff you know it's um, it's keeping her stable and you know everything is as good as can be hoped at the moment but it's still it's very tough on people that are taking it, yeah. you know, um, tiredness and there's a lot of side effects. There but is. she's, you know, she's doing as best as yeah. we can hope. Good. And today, I suppose, there'll be a shot in the arm for you all. It'll be fantastic. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Um, even even for the small one, she uh, she knew nothing about it until about I suppose half past two yesterday evening. So there was fierce excitement then. She was going away with her grandfather and we wanted to hit the road and he didn't know about it. So we, um, he didn't have her back and I had to go looking for them. And next thing I found them coming against me on the road and I said, your bag's in the car, get in. <laughs> so there's been fierce excitement since uh, since then. There, there is no greater sight in the world, Tom, than, than the smiling face of a child. I'd say it was the surprise of a lifetime. Yeah, she loved it, and and as as you say that, isn't it such a true fact? The smiling face of a child—it's it's just amazing to see it. Now, I think myself, and I'm getting a sense from speaking to you because I know I would be. There's a bigger child in that house. There is. <laughs> there, there, there is a bigger child that has been speaking a lot more about Taylor Park than the small child. <laughs> Are you itching to get up on that big roller coaster? Oh, I'm telling you, I just, I'm just praying that I'm over 1.2 metres high. <laughs> 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 Whatever about the small one, I'll go up on my own. <laughs> Listen, Tom, have a wonderful day, yourself and Fiona. And what's the little girl's name? Lily May. Lily May. Have a wonderful Lily day, the three of you. We will. Uh, we were just so happy to be able to help in, in a tiny way. We just threw it out there. Fergal threw it out there and said, maybe, just maybe, when we make the call, they'd help. And they did. Have a wonderful right. day. We will, we will. And thank you again, PJ, and thank to everybody that, that helped. Have a great Fantastic. day. Take care, Tom, and thanks. You too, thank you. Lovely Bye-bye. guy, lovely guy, and I hope they had the day of a lifetime at, at, at Tato Park. It just, sometimes it happens, and it's great to be able to do it when it, when it can. I mentioned to you that I'm, I'm off after today for a couple of weeks and I will be closing off all the news apps and shutting down all that stuff on my phone but I will be listening to a lot of music and I will be listening to and why wouldn't I listen to Cork's exclusive online station 96FM's exclusive online station the Back Garden Festival with all those festival stars that for another summer we can't get to see. It's all done with Harvey Norman and JBL, your specialists in sound this summer. Listen on the app 
or go to 96fm.e. If you open up the app, just stream down the first page and there it is, little square that says Back Garden Festival and all the music is there. Cork 96fm's exclusive online station, the Back Garden Festival, streaming now. Cork's 96fm's Be Kind to Your Mind with GP, author and wellness expert, Dr. Mark Rowe. Wellbeing initiatives in workplaces do not need to cost much money, if at all. It's really important to understand that people have very diverse needs. Everybody's different. And many people are, have been struggling through COVID. And I think a lot of that struggle has been under the surface to date, but I think it's going to bubble up. And I think there's going to be a tsunami of demand for talking therapy and other supports to enable and support people to get back to being the best version of themselves. As an employer, you want to make sure that those supports are available for people in your workplace. Helping you through COVID. Helping you through COVID. Cork's 96 FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 96 96. On Cork's 96 FM. So that's our little bit of fun that we're going to have with you for this Friday. Talking about Irish food a bit later on. What is traditional Irish food? Like we know what Chinese food is and we know what Italian food is. We know what Greek... I love Greek food. Absolutely love... We know what Greek food is. But what is Irish food? If you landed in a restaurant and didn't know where you were, and you picked up the menu, how would you know you were in Ireland? You know you're in Ireland when you see blank on the menu. I'm interested in saying, straight away, most of them coming, ah, oh, bacon and cabbage. Yes, it, absolutely, nothing to bait a feed of bacon and cabbage. But what typically suggests to you Irish food? It could be the old bacon and cabbage. It could be corns, corned beef and cabbage. It could be an Irish stew. A white stew or a brown stew, very important difference there. So, you know you're in Ireland when you see blank on the menu. 083-396-9696. It is only fair, though, that we talk about the numbers because they're getting worrying again. We know that cases will continue to rise uh, from every day on now. Uh, And we know and expect that today's cases will be approximately 1,000. And so if we any kind of look forward ahead, we'll clearly demonstrate this is on a very significant rise of case numbers. The vaccination programme, as I've said before, uh, is win- winning and ultimately will win against this virus. Uh, however, we're not there yet uh, and it's far too early for any victory celebrations. We make a particular call, a specific call to those people who are not vaccinated at this point in time. Uh, we're conscious that we are again talking to, or now talking to, a younger population that has sacrificed so much during this pandemic over the past 16 months. Uh, but we are so close uh, to getting to a much better place. Uh, and you will shortly receive an offer of a vaccine. Uh, and we are uh, urging your support in the coming days and weeks. That's the HSE boss, Paul Reid, speaking yesterday. Now, yesterday there was 994 new cases reported. On July the 15th of 2020, there were 12. Now, if that doesn't put it into context for you, nothing will. July of 2020, nationally, there were 12 cases. We were practically at the zero COVID mark. Yesterday, 994. It's the highest since the middle of February 
There's 80 people now in hospital. That's uh, an uptake of 22. Or 20, yeah, 20. And then uh, there are 22 people in intensive care. This time last week, there was 58 in hospital and 17 in ICU. The majority of people, these are according to uh, the Taoiseach, or the Taoiseach, rather, Leo Varadkar, he said the vast majority of people in hospital in recent weeks were not fully vaccinated. And both he and Paul Reid have said that the unvaccinated are now the most vulnerable members of society. So we've kind of gone from protecting the most vulnerable who might be Granny or, or Auntie Joan or your dad or the man across the road who has terrible lung disease. We've gone from protecting those people to now protecting the unvaccinated and to ask them to protect themselves. But those numbers are a stark contrast. July 2020, 12 cases on the 15th. Yesterday, 994, and it will go up again today. Professor Jerry Killeen, good morning. I guess, Jerry, the numbers are concerning, but we should put them into context too, shouldn't we? Yeah, but I've got to say one word I'm getting really um, allergic to is, is concern because it's being used in a very passive way. You okay. know, we need action. Okay. Okay. But the number, so, so what action do we need to take? Uh, well, you know, where we do have outbreaks, the first thing we need to do is we need to make better use of the things that are working very, very well. And what most of us are unaware of is what a really tip-top job our public health teams are doing. They've really got the hang of this. The bottom line is they eliminated wild-type twice last summer and this spring. Uh, they eliminated beta, which had already arrived here, and they eliminated gamma. But that's because we were willing to uh, turn off the tap. Uh, we were prepared to ask our friends from Latin America and Africa to go through hotel quarantine. We were not prepared to do that for our nearest neighbours. And so uh, basically we've been topping up our epidemic uh, on a weekly, if not daily basis, with new outbreaks uh, for months and months and months. And and we've also allowed Delta to to get itself established. So, you know... For a start, I think the lowest hanging piece of fruit, if we can just turn off that tap, we might be amazed at what our public health teams can actually do when um, when we're not undoing all their good work all the time. So uh, so what so, is that tap we need to turn off now, Jerry? If you if you had the say international travel. Unregulated Unregulated international travel for unvaccinated people and unenforced uh, home quarantine. So, you know, uh, if you speak to contact traces, what they'll tell you is that um, People who travel in the pandemic are particularly difficult to track down and deal with, and some of them are, you know, some of them are outright rude. But uh, but that's a problem for them. They, they do have a consistent problem with regular international travellers, and uh, and and they have no, you know, they're unable to enforce. You know, they can't enforce anything. Mm-hmm. If somebody gives the wrong number or just flies in, flies out, you know, they have no follow up. They have no. Um, if somebody doesn't want to play ball, there's nothing they can do. Now, we do, of course, have an open border to contend with. So people coming up and down through the border, that's not going to be changing anytime soon. But you do believe, I think, Jerry, and have said consistently that nobody should be coming from mainland Britain at the moment and not going into quarantine. Uh, yeah, and there's very simple solutions for the border. You know, so um, 
A lot of us got our electronic vaccine certificates uh, this week. Uh, it's a regular thing for us all to pay for and download airline tickets, which have barcodes on them and all that kind of stuff. So like a, a printable um, certificate that you're a member of a border community that you can just pop on your on your dashboard, yeah, it's not a big deal. And if we can talk about doing this for pubs, I just don't see why we can't do it for our border communities and let them get on with their lives while also stopping, um, you know, the trips to Belfast uh, to avail of indoor hospitalities there, which I know are happening quite a bit. Yeah. So so the, you know, these things are all doable. If we say things are impossible, then we're beaten already. You know, but uh, I think we just need to get on with this. And then every day we delay just, just extends this whole thing. I think a lot of us, we're now more aware of the, the risk of, of disability to young people um, who have their whole lives in front of us. But you know, collectively, we also need to be aware of the impact on the timelines. Even when you get to herd immunity, you know, the, the epidemic doesn't just stop there. It takes time to fizzle away. And the bigger your epidemic is at that point, then the longer it takes. So every day we delay and say we're concerned, but do, don't do anything, is uh, a few more days that we're going to be stuck in this um, unpleasant situation. You mentioned the vaccination passes and you're right, we're all getting them and we can now put them onto our phones and carry them around but you will no doubt have seen on the news Jerry, that not everybody's happy about this, they call it segregation people use an A word which I refuse to repeat on the air they call it segregation, they call it discrimination what do you call it? That we can the vaccinated can move more freely what do you call that? Let's call it... Um Regular common sense, I think, you know, um, your priorities change and, you know, what you consider to be uh, essential depend on your circumstances. And right at the moment, we are in an emergency. There is no, um, you know, there is no discrimination. We're all going to get our vaccines. It's just a matter of time. And, you know, education is a human right. Uh, Health is a human right. Uh, Indoor points, we can wait for. Mm. Yeah, you wouldn't be too pushed about having to go to or wanting to go to a pub on the twenty sixth of July, vaccinated or not, would you? No, I won't be. I won't be rushing. I'll be. The pints will be there when the time is right, and um, and I look forward to that. But no, I've got other things. The things that are much more important to me are my little fella getting over to the GAA club to play uh, to play. You know, his first game of Gaelic football um, last week. You know, if we can keep those things, those aspects of our Outdoor, so you know, being able to get to the beach within my own county, I think if we can hang on to those things and get through the summer without really getting ourselves into deeper trouble, you know, I, I can't speak for others, but I'd be happy to settle for that. Yeah, you may have seen there's a bit of a spat now between uh, Tony Houlihan and Michal Martin, where uh, the chief medical officer has said, "Look, okay, just because you are allowed to take your children into the restaurant with you doesn't mean that you should," and he's saying don't take your children into a pub or a restaurant with you whereas Michal Martin is saying well we have to let families have their staycations and we have to let let them travel as a family bubble what side of that do you come down on Jerry? I'd be strongly on Tony Holohan's side I, I just the, I, you know I mean there's uh, the only term we can think of for some of these plans are you know fairy tale epidemiology it's based on a, a view of COVID epidemiology that's just technically way off the mark um, you know a family bubble bursts the second the family walks in through the door 
of a you know of a of a congregated indoor setting. So uh, it doesn't stand up. It is dangerous, and um, this is uh, I'd certainly be on Tony Holland's side of that argument. I think we've probably learned that we ignore him at our cost. You mightn't like what he's saying, but we ignore him at our cost. Well, I, you know, I wouldn't agree with uh, Dr. Hulman and everything. I yes. particularly disagree with the, the NEFIT strategy, the mitigation strategy. But, you know, a technically all of the advice is very good. I certainly agree with that. I certainly agree with caution. And um, I just don't see a rational basis for, I mean, we're already in trouble. We haven't reopened indoor hospitality. So how how would reopening it possibly, you know, not make things worse? I, 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 I think the key part here is that, you know, I think this is now our fourth tour around the epidemic merry-go-round. For most of it, you know, this is our first experience, but that's four times. And, I, you know, the key part is we just, things are as simple as they look. We just have to learn to make decisions based on on common sense. A very um, common argument these days is don't look at the reported number of cases. So in other words, they say to me, PJ, don't worry about the 994. Look at the fact that there's only 22 people in intensive care. Look at the fact that in a population of four odd, four point odd million, there's only 80 people in hospital. They're the figures you should be watching. Right or wrong, Jerry? Uh, well, uh wrong uh, those you know those numbers are headed in the wrong direction they're also an exponential growth they're lagged uh, the relationship is weaker but it's still there and what all of us need to remember is that you know, when we talk about mitigating an epidemic um, you know we, we, we always refer to January right so uh, as our experience of an epidemic we've got to remember that's that was still just a taster you know, we, that was a few weeks of relaxation in advance of Christmas. We did put on the emergency break, and we still saw what happened. So when we talk about mitigating uh, the impact of a wave, we're talking about mitigating the impact of a wave on a scale that we haven't seen before. So um, so the, those kind of um, those pessimistic uh, scenarios modeled out by, by NEFIT, those are plausible. And, uh, you know, they're not, they're not wrong. And um, that is possible, and we we need to be aware of that. Uh, looking at where we are, uh, you know, we've seen this before. By the time you actually see those, um, you know, the, the hospitals are really filling up. Uh, we're already in trouble. We've already got at least another ten days of the same thing baked in in terms of cases, and much longer in terms of hospitalisations. And then the thing I'm just so conscious of is, is with younger people, the risk is not so much hospitalisation or death. It's it's long-term um, yeah. debilitation. And, you know, I've had, I live my life. I've had a great life. Uh, you know, if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, uh, I'd have no complaints. But, but, you know, our kids have their whole lives ahead of them. So, so why, why mess around with that? Jerry, lastly, before I let you go, there's a breaking story from the UK. Their chief medical officer, Chris Whitty, has just said that England could be back in lockdown in five weeks. He said if hospital admissions begin to double, which they look like they may, and the rollout of vaccines wasn't topping out the pandemic, then five, six, seven or eight weeks' time, the Prime Minister may need to look again at restrictions. They're still going for broke. Boris is still going for broke on Monday. Will he regret it, Jerry? Uh, lots of people will. 
whether he will or not, um, I'm not so sure. But it's certainly going in. It's reckless. And it's it's kind of uh, Russian roulette, except somebody else holds the gun. And could we regret it, more importantly? Uh, well, I, if we keep going the way we are, then, then yes, uh, we will have regrets. And, you know, I just prefer to focus on, you know, Look at the opportunities that are there to just get out of this. We all want to be out of this. And, you know, when we let these opportunities get away from us, uh, you know, that's a tragedy. I'm particularly taken by what you said to me earlier, that we did eliminate the, the wild version and we did eliminate alpha. We got there this time last year with 12 cases in a day nationally. That's as close to elimination. Beta and Gamma. Yeah. Unfortunately, Alpha, we welcomed into the country. And Delta, Beg your pardon, we yes. Into the yes. Country. <laughs> I, I, I used to prefer whom we knew where they were coming from rather than just the <laughs> Greek. My Greek was never great. Jerry, listen, thanks as always for being with us today. Uh, that's Professor Jerry Killeen, uh, Applied Pathology or Pathogen Ecology at UCC. Thanks, Jerry. Um, we did get rid of this blasted thing last summer. We did. We wiped it out. And it came back. And we wiped that out. And then it came back. We know how to wipe it out. Thanks. By the way, uh, yeah, there's a, a new piece of research has been published in the Lancet Medical Journal. Uh, and this is one that gives the lie to a lot of the rumour that's out there about how most people make a 19... This, this BS about 99.97% make a total recovery. That's just BS. We know that long COVID exists. That's not a total recovery. But in the Lancet Medical Journal, they've done a survey of more than 70,000 people who were admitted to hospital in the UK during 2020. Half of them developed other complications. Kidney damage, lung damage, heart damage in healthy people previously with nothing wrong with them. They were twice as likely to die from those complications. And these happened even in young people. A quarter of the people who suffered the likes of kidney damage, lung damage, heart damage, permanent damage. 27% of them were under the age of 29. Uh, One in three of the study died. One in three of those 70,000 people that they studied died. There were complications in 50% of the people that they studied in hospital in the UK last year. So the next time someone tries to tell you it's a 99.97% full recovery rate, just look in there, look them in the eye and say, bullshit. If you would like to hear another side of Professor Jerry Killeen, and trust me, there are many more sides to Jerry Killeen, Nip into Spotify, search for my podcast, 20 Minutes With, and listen to episode 19. Jerry did that podcast for me a couple of weekends ago, and we put a new one up every Saturday at 12. But Jerry Clean was about two weeks ago, episode 19. And there's a whole other side to Professor Jerry Killeen. It's on my uh, 20 Minutes With podcast, which is on Spotify and indeed wherever you get your podcasts. We're getting some great responses to your food, as in... You'd know you're in Ireland when you have blank on the menu. I'll give you some of those, some of those, and plenty more after the news. 
The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Mags doesn't like me using the word Scarchio. She doesn't like the word Scarchio. <laughs> okay, I, I, I love the word Scarchio. I don't know who came up with it first to where they first heard it but I love it and today and tomorrow and Saturday and Sunday today and tomorrow and Sunday will be Scorchio Monday will be Scorchio too start cooling down a little bit on Tuesday but uh, lovely weather ahead I'm reminded of the time Mags we decided myself and the missus when we were on holidays one year (laughs) we confused a lot of Spanish waiters by sitting down at the table you know they come down with the menu for drinks or whatever and we used to look up and go Tatiante Ma and they look at you going Ke I mean you really got the manual Ke Tatiante so that's where Scorch you always starts it's just a bit of fun listen a lot of people onto us about vaccine passports and what you can do with them from Monday where you can go from Monday what the rules are around Europe around the EU Uh, Pat Dawson told us about this app earlier in the week and it is brilliant I downloaded it to my phone as I was talking to Pat and every country in the EU the rules to get in the rules to get out there's a website or an app uh, for reopen EU rules to get in rules to get out do you need to be tested do you need to be vaccinated what do you need what don't you need what can the kids do can the kids be come in without being tested can the kids come in without being vaccinated it is all there and all the information. Unfortunately, the uh, department left us down again. We were hoping to speak with Minister Oshin Smith this morning about the vaccine passports. We have had two requests in, two confirmed bookings with him, and they've both been cancelled on us. So whatever the hell is happening there, we do not know. But you never know, we'll get them eventually. Maybe Fiona will get them next week. You'd never know what'll happen. But the vaccine passports are live now. You can also... If you have the COVID tracker app on your phone, uh, it has been updated. You can now pop your vaccine passport into that. So the printed one in particular. So when you get the printed one and you can you can scan the code on it into the COVID tracker app and that will hold it for you on your phone because the automatic one that comes through through email is much easier to get on your phone than the printed one. But the, either one of them can now be put onto the COVID-19 tracker app. But I had to do this last night. I don't know whether you'll have to do it. But in order to update the COVID tracker app on my phone, I had to first delete it and then go back into my app store where I downloaded the new version. It didn't come up as a regular update. You know the way your apps update all the time? This one didn't. So I had to, I had to delete it and reload it and obviously send myself up to it again and then you can put your vaccine passport in that's on the Apple App Store Fergal says shoddy app <laughs> Fergal's an Android geek and I'm an Apple boy so we, we tend to argue about this all the time all the time 1850 715 uh, on the vaccine passports uh, Maureen says I know you won't use the word but to some of us, that is what it is. It is medical. Now, Maureen, not using it because anyone using that word does not understand what it means. 
you only seem willing to hear one side of the argument lately. Very disappointing. No, it's not that I'm only willing to hear one side of the argument, Maureen. I get it that some people don't like it. I get it that some people are annoyed by having to maybe show a pass to get into a pub next week. I get it that some people can't be vaccinated and I feel really sorry for them. But I will not use that word in this context. Absolutely not. 1850-715-996 on food... Uh, we've loads of it. We, we actually have to get you to think beyond bacon and cabbage now because we've had about 60 or 70 WhatsApps. <laughs> bacon and cabbage, bacon and cabbage, bacon and cabbage, bacon and cabbage. Let's do better. You know you're, you're in Ireland when there's blank on the menu. You know that you're in Ireland when there's blank on the menu. I'll read some of your suggestions in a while. But I remember when my dad passed away. God rest him. It was 2018, January 2018. When I sat down to think about him, you know, I had to write a few words for the funeral, as you do. And one of the things that my dad left us with as a family, I'm getting to it. Trust me, stay with me for a second here. One of the things that my dad left us as a family was many, many, many friends and the ability to make friends. And I've been so lucky in my life, and so has my missus and my brother and my sister particularly, but myself and my siblings and my mom, we have been blessed with wonderful, wonderful friendships in our lives because Dad was phenomenally good at making friends everywhere he went. But friendship is something that adult friendship seems to be less easy to form in this funny old world of ours now. I can think of maybe on one hand the number of people who've become close friends of mine in the last 10 years. Most of my friends are people who become friendly with before that. So the making of friends has changed. And a few weeks ago, a TikToker called Brentley and his buddy Jeff and I've been watching their videos and they're fun. They posted a clip of themselves just wondering if anybody wanted to hang out with them. Brentley told on the TikTok a bit about themselves, a bit about their background, what they were interested in, and said, look, if anybody wants to get in touch, we'd like to meet up. We'd really like to be your friend. It's just the two of us right now. We used to have a bigger group, but we're trying to expand it. It'd be awesome to get a third person or a fourth. And they got huge, huge responses because it would appear that people find it more difficult in 2021 to make new friends as adults. And we were wondering why Anna Lehan, Anna is a Cork-based life coach. Anna, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Friendship is so precious. It's, it's, it's to, to have to have, be surrounded by good friends, there's, there's nothing beats it. But making friends seems to be more difficult than it used to be. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Do you know, actually, during the week, I did a little bit of research around this because it is a very interesting topic. And I just threw up a quick poll on my social media and 58% of people out of, I don't know, like 400 something people said, yes, it's very difficult to make adult friends. Doing a little bit of read or, you know, asking a few people. And it seems people don't know where to meet people. People think others are more selective with who they're friends with. People feel embarrassed kind of reach out to people. There are so many different reasons that people find it hard to make friends. So it's, it's definitely, definitely, definitely a problem. 
but I think it's something we need to address for sure because God, like you said, having good friends is um, so, so important to our mental well-being for sure. Mm, like I would have friends, I've been friends with people for 30 years, 35 yeah. years, 20 years, but they're, and they're, they're a handful of people. But you mm. don't hear of that now. You don't hear of lifelong friendships that began in your teens. Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose, you know, you make different friends in your teens and you're, you know, as children than you do as adults. I mm. think you make, now, I've made better friends probably as an adult than I would have as a child because I know myself better now. Uh, but it's hard. Like, it's, you know, it's different for everybody. Some people find making friends very easy and they're always collecting friends. Other people find it difficult. It just totally depends on the type of person you are. And the type of situations you're putting yourself in, I think. You know, are you pushing yourself outside your comfort zone to make friends? Some people feel really uncomfortable doing that, and that's okay. So kind of, you know, take it slowly. Mm. Take some small steps, like where can you put yourself that, like you'd be a little bit comfortable, but you'd also be stepping out of your comfort zone a little bit. You know what I mean? Mm. The worst thing you can come across is people trying too hard, and they do. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I think people pick up on that and people run. <laughs> so I think that's why lower your expectations. You know, like when you're a child, you make best friends within 10 minutes. And it doesn't happen like that as adults. And I think sometimes we forget that. So I think if you're trying to make friends with somebody, don't expect it to happen straight away. Don't come on too strong. Seem interested in the person. People love to talk about themselves. So ask somebody about themselves. But yeah. don't. Don't come on too strong because you're probably going to scare them away. You know, and people are busy. People don't want somebody in their life if they think they're going to be too much, mm. if you know what I mean. There's another yeah. thing too, isn't there, that we we now live in in a time where it is unwise to be too trusting too quickly. Yeah, yeah, true. We kind of have to protect ourselves. And I think our time is precious as well. Like I said, you know, you need to know that if you're going to give someone your time and your energy, that you can trust them. And that you're, you know, that it's going to be an equal friendship where you're both going to get something from it. You know, time is precious. And that was actually something that came up when I was asking people about making friends. They were like, I don't have time to put myself out there. I don't have time to, you know, join new clubs and new societies and things like that. And I think, you know what, that's a fair point. But I think if it's something that's really important to you and you do want to make friends, maybe have a look at your week. Maybe write down all the things you're doing every week, is there something that you can let go of? You know, do you really need to do the house cleaning every Saturday morning and have it done before 10 o'clock? Could you maybe go meet someone for a coffee instead? The whole world isn't going to fall apart if the house isn't clean, but it might be nice to form a new connection with somebody, you know? Can I put that last bit on a loop tape? <laughs> and play yeah, it? Of <laughs> the whole world is... <laughs> I love it. There, there are, even now, Anna, apps, like yeah. Friend yeah. making apps. Is that is that just bonkers or is it the modern world? Do you know what? I've had a lot now I haven't personally used one, um, but I spoke to people about this during the week. Some people said they had some great experiences with it and they kinda met people like in a big group, you know, like say pre COVID, you know, a big girls brunch morning and they might have met one person that they met again. So like there is some positives to it, but um I don't know. I think to be honest throwing yourself into community involvement projects is something that's a great way to kind of meet people and form new connections. Like, for instance, I'm involved in a variety show in Ballinhasig that I've been doing all my life, right? 
And that some people might think, oh God, no, I'd never do that because I'd never go on stage. But you don't have to go on stage. There are people backstage making sandwiches. There are people changing microphones. You know what I mean? There's always a place for somebody in some sort of a community project. You know, and I think that's a great way to make connections. Throw yourself into things. Look on social media. Are there events coming up? Are there networking events? Do you know, is there a hobby that you're kind of half interested in joining? You don't have to commit to anything. You know, a lot of clubs and organisations will give you uh, one or two first classes for free or whatever, just to dip your toe in, see if you're interested. I don't know if the answer is apps. I kind of think, could we throw ourselves into to, <laughs> to real-life situations a little bit more? Is that the answer? Maybe that, maybe that is the problem. Maybe that we live so much of our lives in yeah. the cloud, as it were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is automatically the solution is to go to an app. I personally don't really agree. Um I mean, if it works for you, great, but I'm the type of person that would rather just go to something, you know, find like-minded people. I think if you can go to, you know, if you can join a hobby, you've already got a common ground. So you've already kind of broken down that wall a small bit. So it kind of speeds up the connection, you know, because you already have something to talk about. So I think if you can find common ground, like-minded people, then Mm. you're off to a great start. You are off to a great start. And coming back to the don't try too hard. You're in a room full of like-minded people They are a place full of like-minded people. The conversation will direct itself in a like-minded way. Exactly. Make the connection first. Friendship yeah. will follow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. And I suppose it's important as well to be mindful that like some people mightn't have room for more friends in their life and that's fine. But that doesn't mean that you're unfriendable and it doesn't mean that you don't try again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, don't run away at the first sign of rejection because it's probably about them and not about you. And I suppose we, we should acknowledge the fact that an awful lot of people, and I, I, I say this re- frequently enough on the air and people say, ah, oh, yeah, you, right, go on to that now. I know what it's like to be desperately shy. Yeah. For for most of my life, I was desperately, desperately shy. Okay. The job I do. <laughs> I'm smiling here. You know, the, the the job I do would kind of belie that, but that's that's true. Yeah. Shyness is one of the biggest social issues. We don't talk about it enough. Yeah. It's a terrible thing, yeah. and I, I think myself, younger people now, in particular, and I'm talking about people in their twenties. In many ways, they're a lot shyer than mm. we were. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think, you know, social media and all those things play play an awful big role there as well. People are a lot more self-conscious. What I would say to that is moving slowly outside your comfort zone. Like when you move slowly outside your comfort zone, if you're shy and you talk to somebody new, like that's pushing yourself outside your comfort zone. And it's normal to experience some anxiety and nerves in that situation. But the more you do it, the more unfamiliar and uncomfortable or the less unfamiliar and less uncomfortable that situation will become. So, like, what small changes, what small things can you do to kind of move yourself forward? There's no point, you know, if you're a really shy person, just throwing yourself in the deep end because then you're probably going to traumatise yourself and never do it again. But another thing that I would say as well is if you're uncomfortable in a situation, if you feel shy and awkward and embarrassed and, you know, that's the reason you're not going to something, the chances are, PJ, people don't notice because people are often just thinking about themselves and how they're behaving or interacting in that social situation. People don't notice other people's behaviour as much as we think they do. That's so another that's, one that I'm I going that to frame. Be a comfort. <laughs> I think that should be a comfort to people, though, because I think we do spend a lot of time in our heads worrying about what other people are thinking about us. 
that the chances are they're thinking about, you know, they're thinking about themselves and what other people are thinking of them. And so if we could all just stop that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we'd all be a lot happier. <laughs> You're not wrong. Anna, thank you very much. Anna Lehan is a life coach based in Cork. Making friends, go back to basics. To get, get rid of the apps. Get involved with people that are like you. Meet people that are like you. You know, if you like music, meet people that are involved in music. If you like sport, go to sport. If you like convivial atmosphere of a restaurant, you know, yourself, whatever. Stamp collecting. Anything. Get involved with people that are interested in the same things as yourself and friendships will follow from that. I have friendships in this building going back to Bell Radio. <laughs> and, and it's just formed that way through our, through our joint love of what we do. 1850-715-996. Just coming back to uh, the vaccines and everything else. Great to hear Jerry Killeen. And his wise words on again. Thank you, Joseph. I'm not jabbed and I won't be. So don't class me as vulnerable or others who will not be taking it as vulnerable. Well, you're susceptible to infection. If that's vulnerable, then that's vulnerable. By not being vaccinated, you are letting yourself be more susceptible to infection. That's just scientific fact. And if you can't be vaccinated, I sympathize with you. If you choose not to be vaccinated, then you are perfectly entitled to choose not to be vaccinated. But if you've chosen not to be vaccinated, as you're entitled to do, then choices have consequences, don't they? What year was Scarface released? You said 1983. Right answer is 1983, which means you've won 2,000 euros. Ten, you gave us 1983 the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 83 On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, a lot of stuff happening in the UK this morning. See where their uh, Chief Medical Officer Chris Whitty has warned that England could be going back into lockdown four or five weeks after the so-called Freedom Day on Monday. And now Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Birmingham has just announced it is cancelling all planned operations for two days, including transplants. They have 163 COVID patients in the hospital, 26 of them in ICU. And that's from a doctor, a doctor who I believe most works in the place, I assume, or yeah, palliative care doctor on Twitter. Uh, it's, it's happening. It's happening even before they do this Freedom Day on Monday. But come back to the funny stuff. Irish food, we asked you, and we're asking you continuously this morning, uh, what, if you saw blank on the menu, you'd know that you were in Ireland. So what is Irish food? What personifies Irish food to you? And bacon and cabbage has kind of gone off into its separate folder on WhatsApp now. Bacon and cabbage has taken over the place. There's got to be others. Stew, says John on WhatsApp with skirts and kidneys. Okay. 
two sausages, two rashers, two bacon, two pudding, one black, one white, and the two eggs <laughs> as well. I think that's, yeah. Uh, cheese and onion tato with dairy gold butter in between two slices of pat the baker and a cup of Barry's tea. The height of fine cuisine. Another one. Yesterday's dinner liquidized with copious amounts of monosodium glutamate, otherwise known as soup of the day. Homemade brown bed and butter, says this one. Deirdre says, you know you're in Ireland when you see tripe and drisheen on the menu. Tripe and drisheen, says Brian. Tripe and drisheen, lovely with onions and milk and mashed spuds. Marion says, bodice, Claire, bacon and cabbage. Kieran, jelly and ice cream. Sandra, steak and chips. Joe, full Irish breakfast. Susan, crew beans. She- Who said sheep's hearts? Sweet God. Tripe and drisheen. And our bacon and cabbage. I know I'm in... Oh, I love this. I haven't had it for years. It's... I know I'm in Ireland when I see Boxty. But I can't see it anywhere now. Any tasty place for... But Boxty is gorgeous. Boxty is a kind of a pancake made out of potatoes and flour and fried. And it's crispy and delicious. It's absolutely gorgeous. You can get it, you can buy box tea in super value, but you can make box tea yourself at home. Box tea is quite easy to make if you just grate the spuds up and fry. Anyway, box tea, that's the best one now. Bacon and cabbage, obviously, is top in the pole, but box tea. You know you're in Ireland if you see box tea on the menu. 1850-715-996. We're off on our travels to Vietnam next. Access all areas on Cork's 96 FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Seminal Irish indie band Power of Dreams are back with a much anticipated comeback album due for release on July 23rd. They play Cypress Avenue on March 13th next with tickets on sale now. Access all areas. Cork Opera House has launched its Cara O'Sullivan Associate Artist Programme with a series of outdoor operas inspired by the much-missed soprano. These include Puccini's La Boheme and Verdi's La Traviata, and they'll be performed in July at five locations across the city. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. I want to go to uh, Vietnam uh, because we've been contacted from there by Daniel. Uh, what part of Vietnam are you in, Daniel? Good morning. or What, what time is it there? Good morning or good evening? Or um, what time? Good, good morning to yourself, PJ. Um, it's the evening here now. It's almost 25 to 5. In, in the afternoon, well, okay. in the evening, I'm in um, um, Saigon. Well, that's the old name of the city. It's called Ho Chi Minh now. Right. And in how long have you been there? I've uh, been here now just uh, two years, almost bang on, just over two years. Okay. What do you do? Teaching. I teach teaching English outside here. Teaching English in um, a lot of schools for a company in in the city. You know, it's a big city. It's. Um, and it does up between eight and officially eight to ten million living here, but you can tell there's like at least fifteen or twenty million people living here. It's um, it's massive, okay. absolutely massive. Just need to watch out for a tiny phone. delay on the line. Obviously, the long distance, and that's a local local phone you have there. So we'll just bear that that in mind. So Daniel, you yeah, reached no out to us because you're in need of help. Well, help. That's correct. Well, to be honest, when um. At the start, when I come out here, you know, I, I just fancied the total life change and uh, I was doing an online course at the moment, at the time, sorry, called uh, TEFL, where it, you do a course and it, it you got to pass it at the end of uh, two months where it proves that you can give an English class, you know, on all different the, the aspects of the English language, you know, and like pronouns, nouns, past tenses, perfect tenses, and it basically the whole... Uh, trained you how to be a teacher and once you got get this start it's the first foot on, on the ladder of becoming a teacher you know anywhere in the world right. so I choose Vietnam definitely um, teaching English as a foreign language is what it stands for isn't that right exactly on the ball PJ so I, I come out here you know and it took a bit of time to get used to the weather I mean it still does it still averages 34 to 36 degrees a day out here I mean the heat is unreal well, I mean, yeah, somewhat acclimatized after two years, but like to make a long story short, um, everything was going great, you know, money, money was not fantastic because I, I don't have lots of degrees and stuff like that, you know. So I was earn, earning about, if you converted to euros, about 1,200 euros a month. Right. And the apartment was very cheap, a nice apartment was um, just about 360 euros a month. But it was a nice apartment, you know, great. then you pay your bills on top of that. So... Life is affordable out here when you're working, you know, you can, I mean, you can save money. So everything was fine and it was working away. And when COVID, the first wave of COVID hit, 
last year in February, they shut down they just shut down the country basically and shut down all the schools for four months. And the company that I work for, like there's absolutely no financial help coming from them. You know, so I had to rely on what I had saved up to pay my rent over those four months and pay my bills, um, pay medical bills because I had a bit of an accident at the time on my motorbike and pay for my cat. I got a rescue cat when I was out there. He, um, he had a bad start in life. He was found in the river. So I, t- I took him in. I fostered him as like an eight-week-old and mm. he's here now. He's sitting next to me. He's, uh, he's two. So yeah, so the money that I had saved you know, I had to go on on rent because out here, I mean, it, it's a, it's a poor country. Yeah. The Vietnamese people, I mean, I'd say eighty percent of the population of this city is poor, whereas twenty percent would be very, very, very rich. You know, yeah. Yeah. there's two sides to the to thing. But so we the, comp- the company you were working for, they shut down with with when everything went locked down, and I suppose there was no question of stuff going online or mm-hmm. teaching through Zoom or anything like that. Oh, no, to be honest, there were so many people so far ahead of me online. I didn't even have a laptop at the time. There were so many people ahead of me online. Whereas what you do when you look for teaching your kids online, you look for how many hours a person have taught online. So you're going to obviously go for the person that has the most hours, mm. with that has the most experience teaching online for your children. Mm. But I tried it and I tried it and um, I was getting no luck with it. It was because I'd say there's probably about Five or six hundred teachers, sorry, mm-hmm. five or six, five or six hundred thousand teachers in Ho Chi Minh. So everyone went online. So I missed the boat that yeah, way. But we, you know, I stretched my savings and we went back. We went back to work after about four months. So then it took a while to get back ahead again. Then you know, mm. and everything was fine. Everything was grand. It was uh, as I said, when you're working out there, life is affordable and you can afford to save money. You know, mm-hmm. and and it's the rent. That's so cheap. Nice climate. Mm. But then um, this year, then when it happened this year, it just totally just blew me out of the water. It, uh, it took the money that after going back after the first wave that I had saved up because I had a feeling that it was going to happen again. So I tried to save as much as I could and yeah. survive. It, it come back, but it come back with a vengeance. And the government out there, it's... Um, it's a socialist Republican People's Party, so it's basically like communism. You know that mm. they shut down the country. I mean, they've they're ruining their own their own their own economy. Yeah. Teachers have left, and so I've for the past six months I've had absolutely no work. Nothing, and again, nothing. When was the last time not, you got a wage, then? Oh God, the last time I got a wage would have been the first week of uh, first week of January. Then they had a, you know, have a national holiday called Tet out here. It's where they, um, I think it's got something to do with the Vietnamese War where they celebrate it. So everyone goes away on holidays for three weeks. So, the, like, basically the the city's shut down and everyone goes back to their hometowns. So that's how we kind of come back in then because when people left, left the main city, the virus started coming back in. Well, that's what we were being told. Mm. You know, I'm not... I don't want to get involved in um, conspiracy theories or anything like that. Like, but all I know is that it's um, it's affected me massively. Sure, and it's affected the Vietnamese people. I mean, I know people have killed themselves, yeah. taken their own lives. Irish teachers because of the thoughts of 
going homeless and the thoughts of not not even able being able to get back home to Ireland, you know. And another thing is why you've reached out. You're trying now to get the money together to get out and get home. How much would it cost you? Well, looking online at the moment, um, yeah, I'd have to pay for um, a flight for myself. There's no way I'm going to leave my cat there because I've I've looked after him. As I said, he was found in the in the river, right. and I looked after him from from like an every gold kitten. So he's he follows me everywhere. So there's no way I I wouldn't leave Vietnam without my cat. So and I'm you know what, Daniel? I'll, I'll stop you there for a second. And people might think what. I completely and total that. agree with you. Bring that little like family, you know? bring that little beast home with you if at all possible. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's I wouldn't honest to God, you know, and some of my friends have mentioned, you know, you need to think yourself as I listen. I put so I've spent so much money on him having him rehabilitated when I fostered him. In the end I decided I was going to keep him. I was going to adopt him. So his name is Dobby. He's a beautiful well, he follows me. He's like my shadow, honestly. He's he's like a baby. Well, he still has traumatic memories of um, of what happened to him because yeah. he's terrified of Vietnamese people. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to put the Vietnamese people down, but 80% of them, the way they treat their animals, you see, yeah. are absolutely disgusting. And, 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 we, hear, and we do hear a lot about that, yeah. So you want to get oh. you home and you want to get the cat home. And I want to get the cat home. Wanna, it's going to cost well, I've I've tried setting up a GoFundMe account on um, on my own page on in Vietnam, but because basically the government they control the whole internet and everything, it was, there was I wasn't allowed to do it. So a very good friend of mine in England, who I, I worked in England for a few years there, a few years ago, Simon, he said, "Look, I'm going to set it up for you, buddy," and he had set it up in the space of ten minutes. So he just told me to give basically give a summary of my my ordeal. Okay. Um, set a target, so I, I set a I set a target uh, of three thousand. But he said, "Look, I reckon you're better off to set it at five because you're going to have to pay to be vaccinated. You're going to have to pay for. Um, well, I've, I've already checked with the airlines for the cat. You can't travel on board. You'd have to travel as uh, cargo. Yes, which means flying from Vietnam to Singapore and Singapore to Manchester. I cannot get a direct flight to Ireland. Yes." Then he'll have to be uh, quarantined in Manchester for, I don't know, is it six or eight weeks? So I'll have to pay for the cost of that. Then I'll have to pay to fly home from um, England to Ireland. And then you'll have to quarantine yourself as well. Then I'll have to find I'll have to find a place to quarantine. You know, because like the family home at the moment, my father is sick, and there's no way I'd risk. You know, even though I've had I've, I've done my test. Four days ago, I've passed my test. I don't have the COVID. People are going to look at people coming in from these countries as, you know, high-risk people. So I'd have to um, rent out a place to basically start all over again and start in Ireland again. But at least I'd be home and I'd be out of this because I'd be 99% sure it's going to happen again in... um, It's going to happen again in in another six months. Mm. What age you doing? I'm 45, PJ. Okay. So you have plenty of good working oh. years left in you? Oh, plenty of work, good working years. And how's your, how's your health and all that? My health is absolutely perfect, to be honest. I've never had a cough out here. I've had a motor, motorcycle accident one day when some idiots come down the, 
come down the hem. The hem is called like the street where I live with no lights on and he, he hit me straight on and I went over the handlebars, destroyed my knees. So I was out of work for about a month, but that was fine. I, I, I was able to cope then. Mm. Well, my health is fine, but my mental health is starting to suffer dramatically because my rent is paid for about another month. So I know after that, that other month, the landlords there, they still want their money, you know, they're still, um, you know, this. I can understand it, you know, but I, some landlords have taken pay, they've given their residents pay cuts, but unfortunately my landlord won't give uh, any reductions. Mm. So the, the neighbours on the street that I know, to be honest, which is, you know, I've gone from living a nice, a nice life at the start now to basically depending on donations. So the neighbours, what to do is, I've got very friendly with them since I've had that accident because they helped me after the accident and um, get on my feet and clean and disinfect my, my knees. They know I'm out of school, so what they do is, and maybe every night they'll come and they'll drop off maybe 10 eggs, you know, so that's what, I, that's what I'll do then, so... I don't. I don't eat. I tend not to eat during the daytime. I've got plenty of cat food for 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 the cat. So once he's okay, I'm I'm happy with that. So they'll give me eggs, and I make maybe a, a stretch it as much as I can to a one egg omelet that will do me for a dinner per day. But I want to give back. So then I go to their house or their little shack where they live. You know, and I will teach their kids English for an hour for free to give back because I believe if you. If you receive help, you should give it back. I, I was involved in fundraisers back in um, in Cockroach on two sky days for um, very popular uh, charity, B for Battens. Oh, we know. I raised a lot of yeah. money for them. To be honest, <coughs> I've um, I've reached out to a lot of people, and I've, I've even asked them was there any chance that they could share my page, you know. And to be honest, I'm just so surprised at the amount of people that have. Um, not even replied. I've got, I've got, there's about, I think at the moment, last time I looked, there's about 400 inside the account, um, which is nowhere near what I need, but okay. hopefully getting well, on the start. radio. Maybe we, can, maybe we can share it and help and help you a little bit. You say you're struggling, no, you've no. got great neighbours and that's good, you get a bite to eat together and you look after the cat, uh, but the mental health is getting tough and that's, I think, the okay. importance. I, I can't, I've been talking so much here on the show, Daniel, over the last 16, 17 months, you know, and listen, I'm a fellow who's kept my job and the wife has kept her job and we're okay, other than inconvenience, yeah, we've, yeah. we've suffered very little, but I know the, the, the joy of my pets, so I, I can't imagine what it must be like to have that little fellow for company. Oh, it's, it's unreal. He's You'll be gone uh, without him, like, you've been accurate without him. Oh, it's, to be honest, I, I, you know, without getting too morbid, he's probably saved my life there on a couple of occasions when things got really bad, you know, when you'll be thinking, email in the school, I mean, the last email that any of us have, because I've got a couple of teacher friends that we work for the same company, and they actually owe, they owe us money from Jan from the start of January, which they haven't paid us. And so the mental health just goes, it's bad. I mean, to be in a country in Vietnam where like a lot of people don't speak English and even to go for a test the other day it's very intimidating because I mean everyone is just staring at you I'm six foot one so I'm I'm like the tallest person on the streets the whitest person on the street so they're just screaming and in Vietnam they don't talk to they don't talk to each other it's mm. the way that their conversation is shouting and screaming 
So I'm trying to fill in a form and I said, look, this is my name, Daniel, Daniel Keane. If you can, I said, look, I am the only tall white guy in the street. So when my time is, is next to get my test, can you call me? So they call me and they stuck this big long, like five or six inch earbud, cotton bud down each nostril and turned it around. They said, if you don't hear back from us within a day, you don't have the virus. So that was four days ago. But it's just that the mental health of not knowing what's around the corner when at the end of the month, I I know for a fact she will she will um she will ask me to leave you know I, I can't see her being yeah yeah and my friend I've got some friends out here but they're married they've got families you know I mean and they're in the same situation as me so uh, if I don't raise enough to either get home or to even pay another a little bit of rent I'm going to be on the street with cat and the, like the about about how long do you think before normality arrives like. Is there any sign of normality coming back there? There's no... At the moment, it changes like the weather, uh, PJ. They came around the other day on their police vans. I mean, they use brutality out there. I mean, I've been beaten over the back with bamboo sticks just for stopping at the lights. I stopped at the lights in, in town there a good couple of months ago and there was... Just went in town with a, with a friend we had to do some shopping and um, went in just to buy rice, eggs and flour and stuff and... Um, because I'd forgot to put my mask back on my face after coming out of the supermarket. It was on, it was in the pocket of my motorbike. I just felt this whack across my back, and it was uh, a copper, Vietnamese copper. And you see it on the street. They're beating old ladies for not wearing masks. So everywhere I go now, I wear my mask. But they, two days ago, they turned around, and they said, right, the whole city's going to lockdown. Nobody's permitted to leave, um, not even to buy food so from midnight to night. Um, the whole the whole city goes into lockdown, and, and they set up. Describe lockdown because you know we, we we hear people going on here about oh we've had a hard lockdown. Describe lockdown where you were. No, I, I, I understand because I've been listening to your show there. To be honest, for for you know it's good to to, to hear a cock voice when you're Cheers, like thirteen, fourteen thousand miles away. So it's good to hear the cock voices, but it's I'm not saying it's harder for. For me in Vietnam, than it is for people in Ireland, but the lockdowns are much harder because the streets on early most of the main streets, they'll have rolling barricades and they've got these guys dressed like something you'd see out of Star Wars, you know. And the, a lot of the police out there are into bribery. I mean, if they if they if they pull you over and you don't have your license on you, you know, or any sort of ID, like they're going to threaten to take the bike unless you pay them. It walks out at about twenty quid. You know, I've been caught a couple of times. Mm. So now they're they're they'll set off blockades down one main street, so you can't leave. But then the next day, I mean, yesterday, I had I was desperate. I needed food for 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 Dobby, so um, I thought I'm going to risk it. So I got my motorbike and I drove and I come to a, a blockade and a man put his hand up straight away. So what I used to translate, because I don't speak much Vietnamese, I can only say Sin Chao, which is hello, uh, come on, which is thank you, and Tambiet for goodbye. So I used Google Translate, and I showed him, I said, look, I'm going to get um, petrol, which is around the corner. I couldn't tell him I needed food for my cat, because they don't care about animals out there. If I told him that, he would have, he would have fined me and arrested me. So I went around the corner, um, flew past. Past petrol station, then come to the next checkpoint, 
and um, showed him the same thing. So in the end, anyway, to make a long story short, it took me about an hour to get through the blockades. But I've got this app on my phone where I've been health, declared healthy. So they can scan that to show that I'm not infected, you know, if needed be. But it depends on the attitude of the police outside, out there right. because they're, right. they're all on takeout here. I, I mean, I'm not conspiracy terrorist kind of guy, but I know most of my friends, I've been... I've, I've had to bribe police officers to leave me go just because I've hadn't had my license with me. I've had left it in the apartment or maybe left it at school. So, yeah, yeah it's it's very it's hard and they come down very, very, very tough on you. Well, Daniel, do you know what I'm going to do? We, we'll, we'll share your GoFundMe and there's no compulsion on anybody, obviously, but we will share it and thank you for talking to us. And Dobby, that's, that's named after the Harry Potter character, is it? That's right, because <laughs> when he was so small, his ears were huge. So that was the name. Um, that was the name. But honestly, if you could see him now, he's just... I can't get up and go into the bathroom with him. He's following me, on, on, uh-huh. honest to God, like, without sounding rude. He'll, he'll jump up and he'll just look at me going for the slash, honestly. <laughs> he's, he's so curious. He's, um, oh, I want to see... Dan. Will you send me a picture of him? I've sent, yeah, I can, yeah, I can send, yeah, you're on Facebook, PJ, yeah. I am, yeah, find me on Facebook and send me a picture. Yeah, yeah. I'll send you on Facebook, I'll send you a couple of pictures of Matthew where I brought him on, right. on to the seaside there last year and he was swimming, actually, believe it or not, just videos of him swimming, swimming in the ocean. He's just a crazy, crazy little baby of a cat, like. Daniel, listen, so, it's uh, lovely to speak with you. I really do hope that things yeah, get better you for too. you soon. Mind yourself out there and take care and, I you know, will. it's funny, I get a better line to Vietnam than I sometimes do to to North Main Street and it's been a pleasure yeah, to speak with you. <laughs> it's been a pleasure to speak with you. Look after yourself out there. Mind Dobby and stay safe, all right? Oh, oh well, I appreciate the call. Thanks so much. And um, yeah, every, I know everybody's, it's hit it's everybody in the pockets, but five pound there, five, five euros there, five euros there, whatever, you know, it all adds up and in the end, please God, you know, we can raise enough to get myself and Tommy back home to Ireland. And I'd, 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 I'd very least not be homeless on the streets of Ho Chi Minh. Daniel, thank you very much. Uh, 1850 715 One Corkman and his cat in Vietnam. Life was good. He was teaching. He was making money. €360 a month for an apartment. Like, come on. Great weather. Uh, okay, strange culture. But he was happy. Uh, himself and his little cat. And now he either wants to be able to pay his rent for a couple of months, at least, or get home and uh, for good himself and the cat. But he ain't leaving without his cat. And you know what? I completely agree with him. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Still loads of your uh, suggestions coming in for what you'd see on a menu and know you were in Ireland. <laughs> I'm loving some of them now. We we kind of put bacon and cabbage to a to a category all of its own. It could fit a WhatsApp account all of its own. The bacon and cabbage. My favourite suggestion so far: boxed tea. Love it. 
love it. Uh, hi PJ, I know you're in a posh part of Ireland when you see things like volivants and chicken a la king. Paul says, a chicken fillet roll, PJ. No one else seems to do it anywhere. Really? And of course, being a dub, it has to be coddle. Oh, I've only ever eaten coddle once in my life, Paul. It's gorgeous. Coddle is a beautiful dish. Um, yeah, brilliant. Finn says, unfortunately, you know you're in Ireland, trendy Ireland, when your burger is served on a brioche bun. This has to stop. 1850-715-996 Just before I go to that um, Yeah, Susan was on She said I had a problem with Ayers web mail I rang customer service Explained what happened again to a lovely lady called Susan They're having problems with payments I explained I needed email And she just reconnected me A two minute call Credit work credit is due Thanks for that, says says Susan Thank you. Uh, on Jerry Killeen and the UK, he mentioned we need to turn off the tap. We need to stop it being so easy to get in from the UK. You could do something about the border and that you give out a border pass that people who have to, to traverse the border for work, or for, uh, they'll have a pass. And of course, vaccinated people up and down over the border isn't an issue. But people coming in from the UK is a bigger problem. Uh, Kevin says, we can't allow unrestricted inward travel from the UK. We simply can't. I know the expense involved in coming into PCR tests and all that, but that coupled with antigen tests on arrival would be a massive help slowing down the arrival of the virus. I'm reliably informed that Scorchio came from the fast show. Thank you for that. And where am I going now? Oh, yeah, pennies. Pennies and, 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 and vaccines. Like... This has been announced this morning by Primark, which of course is pennies in the UK. Uh, shoppers in Leeds and in Bristol are now going to have a pop-up vaccine centre in their local Primark. Pennies. The NHS have announced it. It's the Broadmead Shopping Centre in Bristol and the Trinity Retail Centre in Leeds. Two locations where you'll be able to get your jab in Primark. It's ahead of their opening up on Monday. They want to try and get as many people as possible vaccinated. <laughs> I, I wonder, could it ever happen here? Could you actually end up going down to pennies below that I can see from here? Or, yeah, pennies and, and winning. Could, could you get it? Could you get a vaccine with your fluffy socks? I wonder. 1850-715-996 Right, get back to the Irish cuisine Is there such a thing as Irish cuisine? Um, Catherine Fulvio, who'd be one of our leading chefs said recently that look, we do great food here We, we are great cooks, we have great product we turn out fantastic food but do we really have Irish cuisine as such, as in the Italians have their own cuisine, the Chinese have their own cuisine, the Indians have their own cuisine, the French have their own cuisine. Do we have our own form of Irish food? And I wonder, do we? Because Regina Regina Sexton has launched or launched a diploma course at UCC a while back on Irish food culture and is a food historian. R- Regina, good morning. Is Catherine right? Like, do we actually have a food culture that is all our own, that if you put, put certain things on the menu, you'd know you were in Ireland? Uh, uh, hi, anyway, good morning. Um, no, gosh, that's... 
sort of a question that we spend a lot of our time thinking about in the, as you mentioned, the postgrad diploma in UCC. And I think, um, I think Catherine's statement is right in many ways, but there's also another side to that story too. I think it depends on what you think about when you say food, what do you mean? So first of all, you have ingredients and then you have maybe a way of putting all those ingredients together in a kind of a patterned way, uh, in a kind of prescribed way, a, a recipe, so to speak. Um, so I think we're really strong on, on the ingredients, the food that we produce. But I think when it comes to recipes leading towards a dish, I think the story is a bit different in Ireland than what you might find in other cultures that stand out, like the ones you mentioned, like mm. Italy or France or Spain and so on. They possibly have a different recipe culture, uh, a different culinary culture. Mm. And why, why um, is that, do you think? Gosh, there's loads of reasons. And, you know, saying that, though, I also have to caveat that by saying that Ireland does have a bank of recipes. Now, and then it depends again, because you kind of get another twist on the road. It depends on, well, is a recipe something that you write down? Uh, is it something that's in your head that you do from experience by, uh, you know, something that's captured and held in your head like a tradition that's not in print, an oral tradition? Mm. So Ireland does have, and I can say this categorically, Ireland does have a particular way in putting some dishes together and then of course the big ones stand out like Irish stew and bacon and cabbage, mm. Kirkana and Boxy. I know your your listeners there rang in with, with uh, um oh, Box, you know, Boxy's gorgeous and, and Coddle and Colcannon. Remind me again what Colcannon is. Well Colcannon is is, is is lovely because Colcannon is a kind of an enriched mashed potato dish. So, and then this is another thing you see that, that, that I suppose comes into play in terms of a food culture. It's not so much a dish, but it's exactly what goes into that dish. And it's not just the potato that goes into the Colcannon dish, it's the variety of the potato that goes into the dish. So in Ireland, we have a taste, we have a palate for flowery potatoes, you know, ones that will collapse when you when you mash them and they collapse because you pour lots of butter into them and maybe hot milk and cream and they love that. They get on really well together, all those ingredients. So Ireland produces just superlative mashes and then if you add into that some additional ingredients and a big one in, in an Irish uh, vegetable tradition would be cabbage. Mm. So cabbage is added into Kilcannon or kale is added into it as well. And uh, uh, they're cooked in it. It's all mixed together and then more butter is put on the top. Uh, so, I, I, I mean, that is, if you take away all of the, I suppose, things like culture makes kind of us think this is good, this is bad, this is better, this is less better, if you like. Mm. If you take away all of those things and you know, sit down very, very subjectively with uh, a bowl of Kilcannon. It's actually a beautiful culinary experience. Yeah. Um, you know, it really is. Oh, well, it's like, it's like, it's like I never forget the first time I tasted boxy, boxy. Uh, sure, and, and, and I, I think, you know, you know what it is and you've tasted it. Now, it could possibly be that a lot of your listeners mightn't have tasted boxy or maybe don't know what boxy is and then this is another interesting thing because a lot of our foods and a lot of our food traditions would have been very strong at one point in time but then they decline and then they disappear 
Mm. And sometimes they re-emerge again, you know? Is there anything to do with the way we name things in this country, Regina? And what I mean by that is, you could have a dish that we make here in Cork and it's known as something entirely different up in Connemara. Uh, That's... uh, that is really true and that's a really interesting thing to think about and to, and to map because, you know, a lot of the potato dishes will have various different names around the country like there's Cali, there's Kilcannon, there's Boozy, there's Tump. Um, there's all of these kinds of different local and regional names mm. uh, for the same dish. Now, we tend to forget those. They're gone as well from our consciousness. And the other thing, I suppose, uh, and this would very much kind of join up with this idea of an oral tradition rather than a print tradition of dealing with food, is that we must remember as well that a lot of food culture would have belonged to a time when there was a different language and it was an Irish language that, yes. that people were operating through. And a lot of the communication and the relationship with food would have been expressed in a different language. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that, again, doesn't sort of... Uh, impinge or come into our our, our present day uh, food culture. Yeah. But then there's another side of it then too though in that like the country has a spectacular tradition of written down recipes, things that would be handwritten in manuscripts yeah. or um, would have been in the manuscript books, the handwritten books from printed sources and yeah. there's huge amounts of recipes from the late 17 I think what what, what we're picking up here, Regina, is we actually do have a a food culture here, a a kind of, but we don't know so much about it. We know more about the the other uh, food cultures of the world. One last quick one before I let you go. I love stew, right? And I'd love to have you on again sometime to talk about this. I love stew, but which is the the genuine Irish? Is it the (laughs) stew you make with lamb, the white stew, or the stew you make with beef? Which is the Irish one? Gosh, we're getting into really dangerous territory here now. <laughs> um, I think if I had to put money on it, and if I had to um, come down on the side, I would say it was, okay, just just the qualification on the lamb, it would be mutton stew. Yes, yes. No, I knew be- you'd say that. I knew you'd say that because <laughs> I was practically raised on lamb and mutton stew and I was always known as Irish stew. And it's the shoulder cut of the of the mutton yeah. uh, that was used for the stew. And of course, that's got brilliant things in it. It's got bone, it's got fat, and oh, yeah. it's got the meat. We and don't we don't eat mutton anymore, and and it's a pity because mutton is absolutely beautiful. Regina, I'm going to leave it there with you for today, uh, and we'll talk again because it's a fascinating thing to talk about Irish food, and we've loads of it. Uh, thank you, Regina Sexton. Mutton. We don't eat mutton. Um, I remember being down in Dingle. A few years ago, there's a pub down there, Maura de Barra's pub, I'm not too sure if it's still there, but she did mutton pie. And I hadn't had mutton since I was a kid. Oh, my God. Mutton! Stop! Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 83 On Quartz 96FM. I'm heading off on my holidays and I'll be reading a lot over the next uh, two weeks. One of the books that I have been reading heading up to it is a brand new book about health scams and health deception. In other words, health advice that is not health advice, that is only designed to take your money off you and manipulate you into thinking that modern medicine is all wrong and that there's another way of doing it. And generally speaking, there isn't. Uh, A guy called Bernie Garrett, who is a professor of nursing, has written a new book 
all about this and had an opportunity to speak with him last evening. Bernie Garrett, welcome to the Opinion Line, uh, joining us from, from Vancouver. The title of the book is an interesting one, The New Alchemists. Alchemists were fellas who turned, or said they turned, metal into gold. So effectively the book is about con men, isn't it? It is, yeah. And uh, I, th- I came across the title um, basically thinking about uh, the way in which um, modern day health practitioners um, are seeking sort of magical remedies in, in many respects, which is actually something the um, the alchemists were also known for. They were look, they were also seeking for um, a potion of uh, long levity or, or the elixir of life was one of the other things they were trying to do as well as turn uh, metals into gold. And of course, it was inundated with fraudsters and cheats who made promises and ran off with people's money. Um, uh, so it, it's unfortunately a similar sort of um, situation today within much of sort of healthcare practice. Of course, there's many forms of healthcare. There's what you might call traditional mainstream healthcare, mainstream hospitals, mainstream doctors. And then there's alternative healthcare, alternative practice, complementary medicine, some people like to call it. Are you completely down on complementary stroke alternative medicine? I'm not completely down on it. I mean, to be honest, it, it doesn't really exist as a category. People make this assumption that there's these two types of medicine. Basically, there's medicine that works and medicine that doesn't work. And uh, sometimes there are some things and therapies that come out of uh, not necessarily the traditional medical sort of biomedical side that are actually useful and they're, they're helpful to us in our healthcare. But um, there's also an awful lot of sort of uh, as I go into in the book not just in medical practice but also in what's called the alternative health world and the wellness world um, where there's an awful lot of deception as well so it goes across the board and that that was one of the things I wanted to highlight in the book it isn't just about alternative medicine problems there it's across the board but uh, unfortunately there's an awful lot of deception out there in the alternative health world social media does not help absolutely And, and that's part of the problem I mean, my background as well is as a technologist in, in the healthcare. And um, one of the big problems is this huge growth in social media, which, which has been great for a number of things. But um, in terms of sort of spreading misinformation and deception, it's a huge issue at the moment. I mean, if we look in the US, we have a completely divided country on the, the value of vaccination there, uh, where a lot of these sort of myths about the dangers of the vaccines and the issues relative to the actual risk of COVID-19 uh, are being spread or using social media and the same globally. You began to write the book before the emergence of COVID. You almost preempted it, didn't you, given the amount of nonsense that's out there these days? Well, well yeah, absolutely. And, and the interesting thing is that um, I wrote the book actually the year before COVID and I almost finished it when COVID started. And then my publisher said, hey, you've got to look at what's happening with COVID. And um, we moved into that, including it, and delayed the publication. But yeah, I mean, the World Health Organization the year before was saying the, you know, the growth of the anti-vaccination movement was one of the big threats to global health. And that was before COVID arrived. And um, much of that was due to the spread of misinformation and deception, um, primarily through um, the internet and social media, which has, has funneled and channeled that sort of um, argument. And so when COVID-19 came along and the pandemic started, um, there was 
similar, we saw similar things. Even uh, President Trump got called up with it, recommending um, non-approved treatments for um, COVID-19. So, so it's a major issue. It is a constant uh, problem for a person looking for help. You know, you have something wrong with you. You have something wrong with a loved one. And a parent of a sick child or the partner of a loved one with an illness, you, you will go to the ends of the earth, Bernie, to try to find something. And then you get pounced on by a charlatan and they reel you in. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the problems, a lot of the problems that cause this uh, are problems with their existing health systems. People don't get satisfactory treatment from existing um, medical uh, services and um, health provision that's available. And so they seek alternatives, as we all do. We, nobody wants to live with chronic health issues or problems. So, so we look at um, alternatives. But unfortunately, there is an awful lot of people out there who prey on people with uh, and, and don't have the same sort of ethical standards or, or social conscience that they even you know most people have and, and will happily um, use that to their advantage and try and sell detective cures or, or even sort of uh, put themselves in the position of being fake practitioners an interesting example i raise in the book is the ones of the fake cancer clinics which really are, are the very low bar and the, some of the worst types of exploitation that i see and there's a number of them in the us um, they tend to also operate in countries that have more lax um, regulation on those um, where they promise all sorts of experimental treatments or, or you know basically fake and hokum treatments uh, can resolve people's cancer. And we get people traveling from around the world to visit those clinics on their last hope that they're, you know, with the fake, fake promises that they can cure them uh, and spending an awful lot of money on the process and, of course, not, not making any difference. What one regularly reads as well, YouTube is a great place for this, the things they don't want you to know. Why are people drawn into something that is clearly nonsense the things they don't want you to know yeah it's a really interesting question and um it's a part of the one of the reasons i got interested in this was the psychology behind this the psychology of persuasion that is used to engage people in these sorts of scams and deceptive behaviors and um this one's really a social conditioning type of, of, of or i should say more a social networking type of um, aspect to our psychology that um, if, if, if a group that you're involved with starts suggesting things that they like or whatever, there is an inclination and we know people tend to like to agree or to, to conform with that social group. Uh, and part of that is how the conspiracy theories work because they get a group of people that, that point to one thing that may actually have a grain of truth in it. Um, for example, um, the pharmaceutical industry behaves particularly badly. And again, I document that in the book. Yeah. There, there's numerous cases of, of what is called big pharma behaving particularly badly and, and uh, uh, egregiously. So th th that is an element of truth that you can take. But then they'll extend that with arguments saying, well, well, yes, and um, what they've done is they've developed these cures that they don't want anybody to know about, and the, 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 there's cures for cancer, cures for whatever, and it's all a big conspiracy. Yeah, we, we've got a guy that regularly sends us messages to say they know the cure, they just don't want to lose the money they're making on drugs. Follow that story. Do some real journalism. The do your research argument, <laughs> yes, yeah. which comes up. All you sheep will do your research. 
Um, I mean, this is this is the issue, and, and it's, it it happens in steps, but it's by this sort of process of social conformity. Um, you know, and the, they use this in the advertising quite a lot of these products and services, um, typically suggesting they're either scarce or there's a conspiracy to to hide them. I mean, the, the fact is, and, and again, I, we do talk about this in the book, but if if there was a conspiracy of of that size, it would mean that you know every nurse, doctor, physiotherapist, and practitioner would be covering this up, and, and the scale of it's enormous. And, and it, why would they do that? It makes absolutely no sense. Uh, and of course, the alternative is that you know if they did have a cure for cancer, they they'd be able to make billions. Uh, so why wouldn't they be doing that uh, rather than keeping people in in cancer treatment? It would be far more lucrative to treat cancer um, than prolong it. So there, there's also there's all sorts of fun fundamental problems with the logic of their arguments but if you have a friend or someone you trust who says um you know uh, the this hey have you seen this 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 seems you know this argument seems um cushion that there's there's issues with um people covering up uh, or conspiring or they don't want you to know this fact people tend to believe that more hmm. we all kind of i think particularly in the context of the pandemic, we've all got one friend at this stage or one acquaintance who's gone down a rabbit hole and believes the other stuff. But what these people do, the new alchemists as you call them, they then take your money off you. That's the most insidious part. Absolutely. And there's lots of very sophisticated techniques for doing that, Um, even simply on it internet um, sort of clickbait advertisements that, you know, say something like um, they can cure your baldness or, you know, lose weight, amazing product or whatever. And and then they have some sort of um, thing that attracts you to it, like free offer or celebrity endorsement, something like that. And just clicking on that ad makes them money because they have counters that visit them and advertising on their sites. And as soon as you click on it, you're actually contributing to making money. So there's, there's lots of techniques to do that. But the other ones are, of course, you know, direct payments or subscription schemes. This is very common with acne products. Um, you see a lot of companies, particularly here in North America, where they'll sell products aimed at teenagers, young adults, which are particularly prone to, you know, acne. We all go through that period period of our lives. And uh, they promise miraculous cures of, but you have to sign up to a program you know, where they, they deliver these um, cosmetic and, and health um, products to you uh, on a basis of a, you know, three month or six month or year subscription. And they're usually quite expensive. And what they're actually selling you is stuff you can get over the counter from the local pharmacist, chemist, um, that costs, you know, uh, a few pounds at the most. Uh, it's, 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 it's very interesting how they do this. So they have very well-versed strategies of extracting money um, from people. And usually the outlay is very little, um, whereas, whereas the, the, the actual payments that they get, the remuneration is quite large. Have you got a, a particularly outrageous example of that that you can think of? Uh, well, the ac- acne products are quite common, and I won't mention the companies because they do love to sue. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but you can find them. You know, they're they're advertising these subscription uh, products that that come out a lot. You know, miraculous weight loss, vitamin supplements designed to boost your immune system, um, and uh, also you know, th- there's celebrities endorsing this sort of stuff as well. I mean, the, the Goop website is a particularly 
interesting site because there is all sorts of products on there that are very expensive and um, the health, the science behind their, you know, the actual whether these products do anything or not has been notoriously sort of debunked by, by numbers of people. You mentioned vitamin supplements and that's very topical at the moment because throughout the, the pandemic, we've been reading about and I for one and many around me have been taking more vitamin D. What's the lowdown on supplements, Bernie? Because every shop is full of them. Yeah, absolutely. And there's there's uh, shops that are totally just based around selling supplements. It's, it's an interesting growth industry. I mean, if you look at it, I, I, I think I mentioned in the book that you know, when I was a teenager, they didn't exist, uh, but mm. now they're everywhere. And it's a, it is a multi-billion dollar industry now. So, yeah, let, to be honest, um, every vitamins we know are very useful for us. We need them. They're essential for yeah. our well-being. And um, so with other um, minerals as well, such as, you know, things like zinc, and we, there's various things we need in our body on a daily basis. So there's good reason why those supplements might be useful for some people. However, the issue is they're only really useful to you if you have a deficiency in them. Um, and you don't have enough in your diet, and some people don't. So that's that's a you know reasonable thing to suggest as well. That if you if you are you know don't have enough vitamin C, that is bad for your health. We know that mm. historically and scientifically well demonstrated. The issue is if we say, well, actually, if you double the amount of vitamins you take and you take more than you need, it'll give you even more health. That argument tends to fall apart. We don't have any good scientific evidence that is the case. I mean, taking even more vitamin D doesn't boost your immune system anymore. Um, it does help, obviously, with bones and various other mm. um, physiological processes in the body. But there's no real evidence that taking more of them works better. What's very useful in the book, Bernie, is that you, you, you devote a chunk of it towards the end in how to recognize a scam, how to recognize a racket effectively. So just summarize it for for listeners. There are three or four things you can do. You see something anywhere, Facebook, YouTube, television, filter that out now and make sense of it. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot you can do. And as I say, we have this, we developed, we did a research project a few years back where we looked at, you know, this was based on internet health scams particularly, but how to avoid them. Um, and there's there's a certain buzzwords and keywords you can look for for a start. Um, for example, science hasn't caught up with this amazing discovery that they're trying to sell you yet. Um, usually the one of the key early indications is miraculous or amazing results promised. There's no doctor or nurse is going to you know, give, give you advice that, yes, we can cure you and uh, we'll give you 100% because it doesn't work like that. Health is so complex, it, it's not easy to say that. So anyone who's complain, com, you know, suggesting miraculous or amazing results, usually in very short time period, is usually a big red flag. Um, as Others, you know, people creating groundbreaking new research is often suspect as well, because what usually happens in the research process, it takes several years for research to actually get into practice, by which time it's quite commonly available. Um, so that's the other thing, scarcity. Are they saying they're the only supplier of this miracle product? If someone's saying, you know, the stocks are disappearing soon, get yours now. Um, that's a classic line that they tend to, get, to throw in there. But also, you know, it's saying it's only available from this source. And again, I, I refer back to the acne products. Often they'll say our product, our special compound is only available through our company. So people buy into that. 
it's this idea that somebody's discovered something uh, who's not a health professional at all and it's a miracle cure and it works brilliantly and uh, but the, the medical uh, conspiracy wants to, to keep it um, uh, under wraps and, and not you not to know about it. And then lastly, there's the appeal to... Um, traditional remedies natural remedies that sort of thing i mean everything is really natural that, that, that in most of the pharmaceutical world there's very few drugs that are created completely synthetically everything is is created from natural products but this argument that everything is natural the naturalistic fallacy is a problem people making soup out of grass and taking it instead of medicine from the doctor yeah, ab- absolutely. And, um, the, the, and the weird thing is often the, these natural products are delivered in completely unnatural ways. So <laughs> it, it doesn't make any sense logically. And the other classic thing that usually you see in, in these um, types of marketing of these deceptive products um, is the use of testimonials rather than good scientific evidence. And the trouble is, Good scientific evidence is not always easy for the public to understand. But, you know, a testimonial from somebody who used it and said, hey, it worked for me is. So so people often use those. Hmm. The, the book, by the way, is, is written in a very accessible format, which, which, which is great. Before I finish with you, Bernie, come back to COVID-19 for a minute, because it's dominated this program for the last year and a half and every day we have people calling us up going you're only telling one side of the story they're lying to you he's lying to you it's all a narrative it's all is that happening everywhere or is it just here in ireland no, sadly, it's, it is happening everywhere, and it's, it's happening um, in Canada, not as bad as in across the border um, in the US, where it, it, it's, it, it's now become so split that, you know, you've got the two political parties there, and one party is actually now, you know, <laughs> actually publicising uh, and sort of this, this sort of argument that, uh, you know, the, the COVID-19 pandemic wasn't as bad as really people are making out, and, uh, and, and the, the, the truth it is you know i work with icu nurses um who've been swamped uh, with people dying some very healthy fit people have died of covid19 and they were you know these people that you know have the physique that we, we try to aspire to in, in when we're younger uh, and they they got it and they died of respiratory failure as well as older adults a lot of older adults so it it is a, a, a serious global health issue and downplaying it um, and pretending that it's a, a conspiracy is really denying the reality of, of, of what we know is happening around the world. What draws people to a conspiracy like that, though? Is it that they're just desperate for it to be over and they're looking to for someone who'll tell them what they want to hear? I think that's partly it. Uh, partly it's a distrust of governments and, you know, it doesn't help when governments act in, in ways that um, the, the lose public trust as well. Um, and um, particularly this, the argument towards individuality over um, over that, but over you know the the idea of of, of being dominated by um, government policy or, or, or big organisation policy. But I think one of the issues is that um, the fundamental issue with this is it, it's a very complex problem, health problem, um, a global pandemic, and um, people seek solutions that are often easy to understand and uh, a conspiracy argument has a certain attraction to it because it is simple to understand and also if you've been in a a community where you haven't seen a huge amount of 
um, impact of the directly of the of the, the virus. Um, then you might start to think, well, actually, I haven't seen anyone with the virus. Um, but what people don't understand, and this is the trouble, is risk um, of epidemic epidemiology and the, the the likelihood that you know if, if we don't contain these pandemics, what will happen? Um, and one in a hundred people dying doesn't sound a lot until you're told to get in an airplane and say, well, out of the three hundred passengers on this plane, three of you won't get there. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's an analogy I've heard before. It's one that resonates. Bernie, the book is out this side of the water uh, later in July. It's been good to speak with you on the Opinion Line. Thank you for joining me. Thank you very much. That's Bernie Garrett, Dr. Bernie Gannett, joining me from his office in Vancouver. The line wasn't the May West, but we did our best. It was late last night I caught up with him. His new book called The New Alchemists. It's a good read, and it's an easy read. It's an entertaining read. It's very much like a book I read many years ago, which everybody should read, uh, by Ben Goldacre, called Bad Science. That's still out there. But this new one, Bernie Garrett, uh, The New Alchemists, 1850 They're still sending in uh, suggestions for food. Finn Lynch, liver and onions with buttery mash. You can't beat it. Corned beef and cabbage or bacon and cabbage, but it must have the parsley sauce, says Anne. And Tom Wells, you can't beat... beat Tripendrishine. And one last one on friends. Bernie, and this, we were talking about making friends earlier, and I was holding this one because it makes good sense. Bernie, people need to stop trying to make friends. It will just happen naturally. Don't bother with apps looking for friends. You'll find them just by doing things you love. Myself and my best friend met in work, and we're still pals 39 years later. That is kind of how it happens. We've been following since first thing Monday. And now, last thing Friday, we are following the story of the Life Centre and the dispute between the Life Centre and the Department of Education, which now, unfortunately, uh, threatens to put the future of the Life Centre in doubt. Now, I know, Don O'Leary, that you will say that you will keep going, and I have every faith in you to do so, but life is a lot harder these days than it needs to be. You were talking until last night, What's the story now? Good morning. Well, I, I'll be honest, PJ. Um, you know, look, we've tried to do everything here. You know, we've been met with them not writing out what there was on offer because there's nothing on offer. Um, they, they meet us and they're telling... I mean, I, I, have the, I have the department telling me, you know, they won't be negotiating with us, that there'll be another organisation negotiating with us. And the other organisation has no funding stream of its own. It comes from the department. And so, it, like, it's totally disrespectful to the staff here, to the students here, and to the centre, and what it's provided over 20 years. And you're right. Look, like, I, I just want to clarify if any parents or uh, any parents of my students are listening out there. Oh, we're opening in September. Uh, and it, we're going to move along. And, and it'll be the same as it always has been. And we'll try add things if we can. But it makes things really, really difficult. I mean, uh, as I've said before, like uh, you have kids going into secondary school from primary school, and they'll be taken in by, by the principal. And the principal doesn't have to worry when he's taking a child in. He's telling the child that, you know, they're first year secondary and he didn't go to leave his I'm telling kids in and promising them that we'll be with them until they reach where they need to be. Yeah. And they don't have the money to open. You can't make that, that promise. I can't, that... two years. Well, I'm making the promise. 
But I almost feel, what if? Yeah. And look, I suppose, look, we, my, my board issued, uh, just got fed up with it. My, my board got fed up with it uh, in June. That's, they wanted me to come out of talks in June. I said, look, will you please give the people that are working with me? I mean, in particular, you know, the Taoiseach, Polly Sol, and even the other politicians in the city who have shown us 100% support. And give them a chance to, to work it through. No, they're rang. They're the Taoiseach said during the week, Don, that uh, he won't see the Life Centre left short. I, and look, I believe the man, right? However, he's not going to give it to me out of his own pocket, and he's been brilliant, though, right? But there's, I, and I'm going to say this, right? I mean, I, I want to deal with truth. If the truth is hopeful, so it's, but it's the truth. Don't be talking out of both sides of your mouth. Telling politicians on one hand, we're negotiating with the Life Centre about their staff and about sustainability of the future. And then me and my staff here are meeting them and we're told, well, we're not negotiating with you. Yeah. And I mean, one of the statements that was made from the we went into a meeting on Tuesday, they asked, and I said I would. And the only reason we went in is we said, we're going under the parameters that my board had set out is that we talk about the Life Centre staff and and their pay. Yeah, yeah. And when we asked that at the meeting, um, the leader of the other side said, we never said we were going to pay your staff and we won't be. Yeah. Don, it's it's very much at stalemate. I'm so sorry to be leaving for a couple of weeks, uh, uh, but if there's any more developments, I know that Fiona will be across this uh, with you guys every step of the way. We're following this. There's a huge petition on change.org which is flying uh, to fund the Life Centre properly. Don, look after yourself over the next couple of weeks and we'll be in touch. I really, really hope to get this sorted because that place deserves better. Very quickly, last bit of business. Matt McGranahan is from the Music and Entertainment Association of Ireland. How much is out there now in Grants, Matt, and who's it for? Good morning. Good morning. Well, there's a €14 million Euro fund available to musicians, singers, crew, sound engineers, lighting engineers, etc. And, and we're eager that uh, all those workers in the industry check out the scheme. It's due to finish next Wednesday. Mm-hmm. It has already been extended for a period of a couple of weeks. Um, and a lot of people do not think that they're eligible for it. They think it's uh, maybe related to um, sort of more structured or, or formalised uh, businesses when, in fact, the scheme is aimed at individual self-employed sole traders, partnerships. This is, this is for the guy who takes his guitar to the pub on a Saturday night? Correct. It's, it's absolutely for that guy. It's, it's for the, those uh, freelance workers, uh, pub singers, you know, wedding singers, Brilliant. Uh, bands, all those different types of Where things. Where can they and find out more, Matt? They can get more information on gov.ie uh, through the Department of Tourism Culture Arts webpage or they can look up MIA hash Ireland, which is M-E-A-I hash Ireland dot I-E and you'll see a link there for the MEBAS grant. Alright, listen, I just wanted to get touch upon it briefly because it's great news for lots of musicians who haven't had a cent for months. It's a couple of quid there for you. Go get. That's it. That's it for me for this week and for a couple of weeks. I'm heading away. Uh, Fiona will be sitting in until just after the August weekend. Uh, behave you lot. Okay. <laughs> Enjoy the weather. Stay safe. Mind one another. Listen to sense, not nonsense. Thanks, Fergal, for editing the show. To Katie O'Keefe for producing research. And I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Take care. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.